Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Welcome today to the Preserving Families podcast. We're so grateful that you're with us, that you're listening, that you are trying to improve your marriage, your family, your grandparenting, your overall family experience. So that's what we're all about here at Preserving Families. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, and we're really excited for our topic today. We always are. We're not going to ever do a topic that we're not excited about. (laughs) We know that Satan is attacking the family today. There's just no question about it and the data support that right i mean wherever you look for example in our country according to a pew research center survey 40 percent of americans believe that marriage is becoming obsolete fewer and fewer people you know are engaging in marriage the current marriage rate right now is 6.1 per thousand it was 9.8 per thousand in the 1990s and he was, of course, larger than that in, in decades before, right? So marriage rates are declining fewer and fewer. In fact, it was in 1946, there were 16 marriages per thousand. And what I tell you today, it's about six, right? I mean, what a drastic drop. Um, and then another one uh, is just our low fertility rate today. It's lower than it has ever been. At one point in American history... The, our fertility rate was the envy of the world, as some called it. The replacement rate is 2.1. What does it mean? It means that a mother and a father, in order to replace themselves, you know, have to have two children, basically, right? Well, our fertility rate that once was in the threes, fours, and fives is now at 1.69. So we as a country aren't even going to replace ourselves. In fact, our fertility rate is lower than the fertility rate in France. <laughs> you know, and France was known for years for having this, this low fertility rate, right? Building on that just a little bit more, according to the Pew Research Center, about one in five American women will end their childbearing years maternity-free now compared to one in 10 in the 1970s. So from 10%, to 20%. And the proportion of women ages 40 to 44 who have never given birth has grown by 80%. It reminds me, you know, Janie, of an article in Time Magazine a few years ago called The Child-Free Life, right? Where it's almost this celebration that we're married, but we have no children. Well, yeah. For those (laughs) of you that haven't heard the word dink before, that's the new trending kind of cool thing is DINK. It means dual income, no kids. And it's kind of all the rage. I've seen so many like reels and things on social media where they're actually promoting it. Like, look at us. We're DINKs. We don't have to have kids. You know, we don't have kids. We have no responsibility. We can travel. We can do whatever we want. We can party all night. We never have to get babysitters. You know, they're just really promoting this. Right. And so, yeah, that's kind of thinking that... (laughs) Kind of the new fun lifestyle, right? They're Satan's uh, winning with this new mindset right so almost half that's 43 percent of unmarried american adults want to get married so that's cool right almost half want to get married but only 28 percent 
said that they'd like to have a, a child, you know. Um, and so this is kind of back to this idea, Janie, that you're talking about with this movement of dual income. No kids. The dinks, right? Right. <laughs> dual income, no children, no kids. You know, Janie, this reminds me of that of the of the verse in Second Timothy chapter three, when the apostle Paul tells us that in the last days that perilous times will come, and that men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. And we hear that, and and what drives all that is is selfishness, right? I mean, selfishness is driving these trends that we're talking about and of course who's driving the selfishness i mean satan is right behind all of that absolutely a while back bishop victor l brown said i believe satan's ultimate goal is to destroy the family because if he would destroy the family he will not have just won the battle he would have won the war Mm. and he is fighting that battle another powerful quote by elder boyd k packer he said the ultimate purpose of the adversary is to disrupt, disturb, and destroy the home and family. Like a ship without a rudder, without a compass, we drift from the family values which have anchored us in the past. Now we are caught in a current so strong that unless we correct our course, civilization as we know it will surely be wrecked to pieces. Now, when did he say that? 94. (laughs) So one of the things I like to point out when we read those statements and they're older like that is that because some will say, okay, well, you, th- that's an older statement. No, that's prophecy. We're, we're trying to show that that's prophecy. I mean, he said that literally 30 years ago, and look where we are now. I mean, he's, he nail, Elder Packer nails it. Totally. Hoyt Brewster, who is a great LDS scholar, he said one of the most significant signs of the last days, and probably the most dangerous, is the all-out assault that Satan is making on the family. And we're seeing that everywhere, right? Right. He goes on to say he he has an intense hatred of anything associated with the family, marriage, mother, father, children, for he himself will never be a father. Yeah. And I think that's so powerful is that's the things he can't have is the things he's going to attack because he knows that's the basis of Heavenly Father's plan. The great plan is about families. Right. And, you know, this is Elder Oaks. I'm just going to paraphrase this one, but President Oaks you know, one time told us that Satan will always attack what is most precious and dear to to our Heavenly Father's plan. He's always going to go after that. And I love what other leaders have taught, you know, that that Satan won't be a father. He won't be a grandfather. He'll never be a, a, a husband. And so what does he do? He does everything that he can to wreck and destroy the family. And all we have to do is look around and realize that Satan's winning. I mean, he is winning. You know, here's another one of those statements, Janie, that I think is so awesome. It was a talk that Elder Bednar gave called Marriage is Essential to His Eternal Plan, June 2006. So once again, I I present this A as an incredible doctrinal statement, but B as prophecy. Because in 2006, he said that Lucifer relentlessly assails and distorts the doctrines that matter most to us individually to our families, and to the world. Where is the adversary focusing his most direct and diabolical attacks? Watch what a prophet seer and revelator says. Elder Bednar says, Satan works unremittingly to confuse understanding about gender, to promote the premature and unrighteous use of the procreative power, and to hinder righteous marriage precisely because marriage is ordained of God and the family is central to the plan of happiness. Now listen to this. 
Elder Bednar said that the adversary's attacks upon eternal marriage will continue to increase in intensity, frequency, and sophistication. Now, once again, he's here he's talking about gender issues and uh, immorality and the delay of marriage, but he's talking in 2006, and once again, it's all prophecy. These attacks by Satan have in, increased in intensity. They have increased in frequency and in sophistication. It's amazing. But once again, as Sherry Dew likes to say, prophets see around corners. Or as I like to say, prophets see things that we don't see. And here in 2006, we're getting this significant warning about how Satan is going to very specifically attack the family. And it's happening right underneath us. Yeah, Mark, and I have to echo with all those are great quotes, but we have to go back to like the greatest source ever, the family proclamation, the proclamation to the world right. on families. And again, back in 1995, when he spoke to the Relief Society and read the family proclamation, I literally kind of sat there like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, what's, like trying yeah. to find why was that so profound that yes, that's what we believe in. But give it now we are in 2024 and the family and everything about it is under attack. And so, so profound, like you just said, prophets see around corners. But so I just want to quote from the family proclamation, which is kind of funny because it is under attack too. The, I mean, people are hostile towards the family proclamation. People don't agree with it. People, you know. Well, a lot of people don't view it as a divinely inspired document. They view it as something a bunch of perhaps attorneys drew up or something and not realizing that, no, this is this is almost scripture for us. These are the words of prophets, seers, and revelators speaking the Lord's will to his people. Right. And if we follow prophets, we, the first presidency and the council of the 12 apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, solemnly proclaim that marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God and that the family is central to the creator's plan for the eternal destiny of his children. And I love that. That is the whole reason why we come to earth. You know, we say we come to get bodies and whatever, but we come to be parents. We come to be in families. We come to learn and grow. Like the scripture that says, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. That should be our goal too. If that's Heavenly Father's goal and we are trying to be like him, that should be our goal. Right. To yes. You know, that's that should be our work and glory to to help our children and our posterity return back to him. And so I think that's that's really key. It goes on to say later in the document that it says husband and wife have a solemn responsibility to love and care for each other and for their children. Children are a heritage of the Lord. Parents have a sacred duty to rear their children in love and righteousness to provide for their physical and spiritual needs and to teach them to love and serve one another, observe the commandments of God and be law-abiding citizens wherever they live. That's our duty. That's a God-given responsibility and duty that have, has been given to every parent. And Satan has attacked that in a way where so many don't want to be parents anymore, right? Or don't value it. And if right. they do have children, they don't. They just want to let it just naturally grow up and be free to be you and me, right? And they don't take that 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 responsibility to to teach them and to train them and to bring them up into the Lord. Right. That's so 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 vital, and that's what's going on right in front of our faces. Another place to go if we want to learn a little bit more about this idea of Satan's attack on the family today. 
is Julie Beck's landmark talk. You know, Julie B. Beck gave this message when she was the General Relief Society president of the church. And it was called Teaching the Doctrine of the Family. Originally, she gave it to all the seminary and institute personnel in the church. But I think it was so significant that they ended up publishing it in the Ensign in the March 2011 issue. And she goes through all the trends, a lot of the trends that we've uh, already spoken of uh, today. But then she said this, she said, many of our youth are losing confidence in the institution of families. They're placing more and more value on education and less and less importance on forming an eternal family. And that many don't see forming families as a faith-based work. For them, it's just a selection process, much like shopping. Many also distrust their own moral strength and the moral strength of their peers. And because temptation is so fierce, many are not sure they can be successful in keeping covenants. Uh, many youth also have uh, insufficient and underdeveloped social skills. We can take a time out right there and say, okay, I think we can pinpoint where those underdeveloped social skills are coming from if they're spending eight and ten hours today on a, on a cell phone, right? Or behind a Nintendo paddle. Behind a screen, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is an impediment, she said, to forming eternal families. They are increasingly adept at talking to someone 50 miles away and less able to carry on conversations with people in the same room. This makes it difficult for them to socialize with each other. You know, in one of my Brigham Young University classes recently, just to kind of insert right here, but I asked all of our students in two classes, how many of them were in serious dating relationships? Not one person raised their hand. Now, I don't know if someone was what? afraid to raise their hand because maybe they were, but when they looked around the room and saw that no one was raising their hands, I just thought, wow, we are oh, in trouble, right? We are in trouble. Do you know how many of my friends lament and complain and and all that to me about how their kids, their YSA kids are not dating. Yeah. They're not even going on dates, much less in a, in relationships. Parents are so frustrated at this generation, and I don't know what is going on. Our, <laughs> we've had apostles and prophets come to BYU and plead for them to date each other. Right. To, and it's just not happening. Right. And, and we know that there are some that do, but... But, you know, when you get out of 120 students in two classes and not one of them says, I'm dating someone seriously. And then listen to this. She said, public policies are being made every day that are anti-family. And even the definition of a family is changing legally around the world. Pornography is rampant. Parents are being portrayed as inept and out of touch. Anti-family media messages are everywhere. And youth are being desensitized about the need to form eternal families. And then Sister Beck went on to say this, that anti-Christ is anti-family. Any doctrine or principle, our youth hear from the world that is anti-family, is also anti-Christ. She says it's that clear. Now, once again, Sister, Sister Beck is, is being very bold here. This is where she also, you know, quotes President Spencer W. Kimball, as we've quoted in this podcast, that the time would come when only those who believe deeply and actively in the family will be able to preserve their families in the midst of the gathering evil around us. Anyway, so we, we understand that, yes, Satan is driving this anti-family movement. Now let's talk about why teaching our children is not just a great option or something we could or couldn't do, but it's actually crucial to their spiritual and maybe even their physical survival. And, uh, it's present irony. In a, in a great talk we recommend to all of you called The Power of Teaching Doctrine. 
Elder Eyring says, we have the greatest opportunity with the young. The best time to teach is early, while children are still immune to the temptations of their mortal enemy, and long before the words of truth may be harder for them to hear in the noise of their personal struggles. This need to teach them while they're young, right? Oh, my goodness. Because I think there's a trap, right? There's a little trap that we can get involved in is, hey, our children are young, and we're kind of busy young parents, and you know what? And they really won't understand. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll talk to them when they're older. No. <laughs> yeah. One day when they're teenagers, we'll really start having family home evening and and some of these other things, right? And no, the habits have to be started young. The conversations have to be started young. The teaching has to be started young. The faith, you know, embedding that the faith of the Savior and gospel basic gospel principles has to, the minute they can even comprehend. Yeah. I think they that's when it has to start. Amen. And then Elder Irene in that same talk said this, a wise parent would never miss a chance to gather children together to learn the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Such moments are so rare in comparison with the efforts of the enemy. For every hour the power of the doctrine is introduced into a child's life, there may be hundreds of hours of messages and images denying or ignoring the saving truths. And you oh think boy, of, isn't that true today? Well, I mean, yeah. when you think about maybe our kids are getting a quick family prayer in the morning, maybe a quick, you know, come follow me or scripture study as they're bolting out the door, maybe an hour in seminary, you know, let's say maybe two or three hours a day. And look how many hours they're getting of social media, of being influenced at school by their peers, by television, by computer, by everything. And I mean, how do, every electronic medium, yeah. right? Yeah. And maybe How do our two, kids stand a chance in this toxic world? Yeah, maybe even two two to three hours of religious, you know, influence a day is an exaggeration, right? I mean, maybe maybe they're getting that a week. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and, and what do you do in some homes where the, these principles aren't even taught, right? And so, but then you think of the saturation on social media that they're getting. That you know, they're indoctrination. Being, yes, I mean, they're being told. Uh, there being sh- so many messages that are anti-family, anti-religious, gender confusion, anti-marriage. I mean, you name it, it's out there. And once again, our, our youth are being saturated in it every day. This is what they're being exposed to. Yeah, so we could spend the rest of the day talking about all the toxic stuff, right, that goes on in this world. But let's switch gears and talk about how we can counteract that. Yes. And let's do. <laughs> let's yeah, so we need some good news, honey. <laughs> so to help us counteract all the toxicity, we thought we would use a few points from Elder Valerie Cordon Cordon um in this last general conference on divine parenting lessons. And he had some really great points that I thought could really help us to build an incredible gospel culture in our home and to help you know, our, free our kids of this toxic thinking from the world, from the great and spacious building. <laughs> right, yes. So the first thing that Elder Cordon does is he quotes President Nelson, who says, Families deserve guidance from heaven. Parents cannot counsel children adequately from personal experience, fear, or sympathy. Mm. And when I first read that, I thought that was so great. Like, that was so insightful. And the more I thought about it, I was like, as good as we are and as good as much as we have great educational background. Mark, you're very studied in the family sciences, you know, still we, as good as we are, or the experiences we had, we have to have the help of heaven to teach our children, to bring them back. You know, he says in here, 
that it's insufficient. You know, that if we don't use the powers of heaven, it's insufficient in parenting our children. I've always thought, you know, I've always taught this principle that if parents are going to be successful, if we're going to be successful in marriage, we have to have skills now. In the old days, you could fake it. You didn't need skills. Now you have to. But this takes it a step further by saying, no, 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 not just skills. Right. If you don't have heaven, Heavenly Father in your corner, and if, you, if you're not receiving answers from the Spirit, you're going to be lacking. Yeah, we're not going to be able to help our kids, right, in this day and age. It's a whole different culture. So I like how he talks about building a culture, a culture of gospel, a gospel culture in our homes. And he says it comes from, from these four things. Of Gospel culture comes from the plan of salvation, And understanding that and teaching that in our home. I don't think a lot of our youth and children understand why that is such an incredible plan and why it's in place. Because then that's why they're getting tossed to and fro from all the worldly philosophies about gender and homosexuality and all that stuff. Um, The second of all is we have to create a culture of living the commandments of God in our home. Mm -hmm. And again, that comes from understanding and being taught that. The third one is teachings of the living prophets which again, so, so powerful and it's so needed in our day and age to know what's going on. And then fourth, the fourth thing is having the Holy Ghost in our life. And all that then will center us on Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, if that's not the center focal point of our gospel culture in our home, then again, we're not going to be able to make it as a family. And before we even go on any further, I think this is a great stopping point for all of us to kind of ask, okay, what is the culture in our home, what's it built on? Because we've seen a lot of that over the years uh, with ourselves and even others. Is our culture built on fun? Is it built on work? Is it built on, you know, recreate? I mean, what is our culture about? I've even seen some families where it's built on family, like family Mm. over church, over God. You know, there's, there's so much that family first over faith, over gospel, you know. So we all have different cultures, so... So to identify that culture, and once again, and if and if Christ isn't the center of the culture, now we have a chance to change it. And that's one of the greatest things about the gospel and what we understand is that we can change, we can improve, we can gather gather our family around us and say, okay, let's start working on this and make the gospel more the center of our lives. As part of developing this gospel culture in our home, President Oaks invited us to give up any personal or family traditions or practices that are contrary to the teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So mm. we kind of thought about what does that what does that look like? What does that mean? And some of the ones we thought of is maybe in our homes we have a tradition of not keeping the Sabbath day holy. Maybe we have a tradition of not going to church while we're on vacation. Maybe mm-hmm. we have modesty standards that we need to up in our family. Maybe we talk bad about people in our family, you know, or criticize our church leaders, or there's a multitude of things. Maybe we, we allow bad movies in our home or any kind of entertainment or, or even just allowing a, a son or daughter to be on a video game for 12 hours on a Saturday afternoon, right? Yeah. So what are those family traditions or practices that we have that maybe keep the spirit out of our home or keep us from you know, growing together closer to Jesus Christ as a family. So it's I thought a great that was question. a really yeah. good point. It's a great question for all of us to ask. Yeah, that we all need to look at. Another point that Elder Cordon makes, which I thought this was awesome. I totally highlighted this. He said, parents, timidity on our part to establish gospel culture may allow the adversary to establish a foothold in our homes or even worse, in the hearts of our children. Huge. 
So, right. yeah, so as parents, again, I had read that over and over, but if we as parents are timid or if we're afraid to establish a gospel culture or if we're afraid to get rid of the sin in our home or things that shouldn't be there, then what does he say happens? That the adversary comes in and gets a foothold, right? And especially with our children. I really believe, Janie, that permissive parenting is the cause of almost most of our, well, I should say most of our social problems today. And once again, it's just my opinion, just my belief. I'm not telling you any that I'm quoting anyone official there, but permissive parenting has really done a number on our society. You know, And for those of you that aren't sure, a permissive parent, parent is high on warmth, but low on demand. And uh, it's just a parenting style that, that I think has really gotten us in trouble as now Children are not receiving the direction that they need. Oftentimes, there are no consequences. They're very indulged. Children kill. Children kind of rule the roost. They get whatever they want because the parents are afraid. Again, he calls it the timidity of parenting nowadays. We're afraid to be parents. We're afraid right? because we don't want our kids to get mad or get offended or have a TT temper tantrum or whatever. Right. As we call it in our house, but yeah, we just can't be afraid to be parents, and I think. I think in this talk, I felt a real call that parents have got to step up, you know, step up and be parents and do your duty. It's a God-given duty and responsibility to raise children unto the Lord. And we want to have a relationship with our children. We don't want people to feel like, well, do I have to give that up? But that's what an authoritative parent does, according to Diane Baumrein, is they are high on warmth, but also high on demand and expectation. We can have... That's the balance. And by the way, you've heard us talk about this before, but that's where the optimal outcomes come for our our teenagers and our children is when parents are high on warmth and high on demand. But boy, when it's just pure high on warmth and no demand, that's not going to be a great outcome. My favorite, not my favorite, but one of my favorite statements is another one he makes in this section of the talk. Elder Cordone said that as we choose to make the gospel culture the predominant culture in our family, then by the powerful influence of the Holy Ghost, our current parenting styles, traditions, and practices will be sifted, aligned, refined, and enhanced. Or in other words, we can make adjustments. We can recalibrate as parents as we try to align ourselves and our families with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means we're going to improve on some things that are really good. Let's keep doing that. And we're going to get rid of some things. We're going to eliminate some of the practices that aren't really contributing to a, a home that's built on a foundation of, of Christ. I love that. And I think that's really important to have the Holy Ghost to guide us as parents, to, to align us, to refine us as parents. Because even from, in, from child to child, like we have eight children and every one of them is different. We had to learn how to parent every single one of them different. We have identical twins who we had to parent totally different. You know what I mean? And yes. so only through the Holy Ghost can we know how to what's best for that child and how to handle every situation. And so I think that's why it's so profound and, and amazing that we have the gospel as parents. I don't know how people, if you don't have the gospel and the gospel frame and the gospel reference and this gospel culture, how do people do it? You know, without the without the Holy Ghost constantly giving guidance and direction yeah. and nudges and exactly yes. So the first principle that Elder Cordon shares with us, he says he calls it teach freely. So one of the principles that Elder Cordon teaches us is that we need to teach freely, and I love mm. the word freely in the in um, 
the book of Moses, Adam was commanded by Heavenly Father to teach Jesus Christ and his doctrine freely to his children. And when you look up the word freely, it means liberally, generously, without restraint. Mm. So to me, that means all the time. We need to speak of Christ all the time. We need to teach what he did, how he behaved, you know, what he, his stories, all of his doctrine, liberally, generously, without restraint. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to quote what he said. He said, we teach our children generously when we spend meaningful time with them. We teach them without restraint when discussing sensitive topics, such as screen time, using resources that the church has made available. We teach liberally when we study the scriptures with our children using Come, Follow Me and allowing the Spirit you know, to be the teacher. But I think parents cannot be afraid to teach. And it always reminds us of that great verse in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, that these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart, and thou shalt teach them, we'll say his words, the word of God, diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up right? Or in other words, we're talking about the gospel all day. We're in the car having gospel discussions. Pointing between... them to the Savior, talking about the Savior's life all the time. Yeah. And once again, we're not being obnoxious with that. We don't mean that from sunup and sundown, that's all you do. Of course, there are other things to talk about and discuss, but we should be weaving the gospel through just about everything we do with our children throughout the day. And I think when, you, when I think of teaching freely and liberally, and without restraint, we are not afraid as parents to talk about the gospel, to share those messages, to share our testimonies. And that can be done in a real informal way. I think a lot of times when we talk about testifying to our kids, we are thinking that we have to say in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, and be formal with that. But just to say something like, I love Joseph Smith, or I am really enjoying the Book of Mormon right now. I'm getting so much out of it. Those are testimonies. Right. And I think when we say the words generously and without restraint, if that's in our hearts as parents, if we've cultivated that and that's just part of who we, we, who we are, I think that just naturally comes out in conversation. It naturally comes out, you know, so that it's not forced and it's not like a formal lesson every time we're talking to our kids. It's just a very natural way because that's who we are and that's what we want to generate in our children. Yeah. The second principle that Elder Cordon talks about is the idea that parents should model discipleship, right? Parents should be examples of gospel living, of covenant keeping, of scripture reading, of temple attendance, you know, those type of things. And I love what our good friend Randall Wright used to teach us. He said it so well, but he said that teenagers can spot a hypocrite a mile away. And he was talking about parents, you know, that teenagers can sense in their parents when they're being hypocritical. And so one of the greatest things that we can do is model gospel living, model what it means to be kind, model what it means to be charitable, model what it means to be... To what it be... looks like to have a good marriage or a good family. Like, kid, you can't preach, oh, go get married if you're the home they grew up in. It's miserable. Yeah, and if the parents were fighting the whole time, why would they want to do that? So yes, we need to model the gospel in our homes for our children. If we want our children to keep if our we want our children to keep the Sabbath day holy, we have to keep the Sabbath day holy. <laughs> or, you know, with entertainment, with with the way that we dress, the way that we speak, you know, the words that we use. I remember Hartman Rector, one of our general authorities from many years ago, uh, said that his dad was a very honest man, but he said that 
that he, Hartman Rector as a young boy who was not a member of the church at the time, got involved in smoking some cigarettes with some buddies, you know. So he got in trouble from his dad. And so he said, my dad whipped me for doing that, for smoking. But he said, but he had to take his pipe out of his mouth to do it, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, Janie, you said the Sabbath day. And I just, this is such a great reminder to me. Uh, President Monson shared this story years ago. But he said, another father taught his son a never-to-be-forgotten lesson in obedience by example and to honor the Sabbath day. I learned of this at the funeral service of a noble general authority, H. Berlin Anderson. A tribute was paid to him by one of his sons. It has application wherever we are and whatever we are doing. It's the example of personal experience. The son of Elder Anderson related that years earlier, he had a special school date on a Saturday night. He borrowed from his father, the family car, and as he obtained the car keys and was heading out the door, his father said the car will need more gas before tomorrow. Be sure to fill the tank before coming home. Now, by the way, this is probably back in the day when there was one or two cars in the whole family and everyone had to share. Elder Anderson's son related that the evening activity was wonderful. Friends met, refreshments were served, and everyone had a good time. In his exuberance, however, he failed to follow his father's instruction to put gas in the car's tank before returning home. Sunday morning dawned. Elder Anderson discovered the gas gauge showed empty. The son saw his father walk back into the house and put the car keys on the table. In the Anderson home, the Sabbath day was for worship and thanksgiving, not for purchases. As As the funeral message continued, Elder Anderson's son declared, I saw my father put his coat, put on his coat, bid us goodbye, and then walk the long distance to our chapel that he might attend an early meeting. Duty called and truth was not held slave to expedience. In conclusion, his funeral message of his funeral message, he said, no son was ever taught more effectively by his father than I was on that occasion. My father not only knew the truth, he lived it. And I'm sure in that, in that experience shared by one of Elder Anderson's sons that he knew for sure how much the Sabbath day meant to his father, right? And I'm sure he wanted to follow that example at that point in his, in his life. The third principle that Elder Cordon talks about in his message is that we need to invite our children to act. And I know, I know that we both love the word invite. I love that word so much more than challenge. You often hear people say, yeah, our, one of our leaders gave us a challenge to read the Book of Mormon, or they challenged us to go to the temple. I've never liked that. It just doesn't feel right to me. I've always loved the word invite. I feel like the Savior was one who gave gentle invitations, though, that were powerful. And so we can give our children invitations, right? We can invite them to act. Elder Cordon said, to assist our children with the building of their testimonies, we encourage them to use their agency to choose what is right in preparation for them for a lifetime on God's covenant path. And so we're going to invite them to to do certain things, right? We're going to invite them to read the Book of Mormon. We're going to invite them to come to the temple with us. Uh, We're going to ask them questions, I love a story that was told in the Bednar home where Elder Bednar would interview his uh, sons regularly and and maybe Sister Bednar too. But I remember that one of the sons told the story of Elder Bednar saying, do you sustain President Ezra Taft Benson as a prophet? And the son said, yeah, of course I do. And then Elder uh, Bednar said, well, what have you read lately from President Benson? And there was, you know, crickets, right? The, The son hadn't read anything lately anyway. 
And there was an invitation then given to, how about if you're going to sustain the prophet, why don't we read something that he said? Why don't we read one of his messages? So as these gentle invitations are given, I think parents have the right to also promise blessings that will come from acting on those invitations. And I love the quote by, or the yeah quote by Elder Renland where he said, Our Heavenly Father's goal in parenting is not to have his children do what is right. It is to have his children choose to do what is right and ultimately become like him. And so I think in the raising of our children, of course, children are going to, we're all going to make mistakes, right? That's how we learn and grow. But we want them ultimately learn to choose right from wrong. We want them to choose good from evil. We want them to, you know, experience their agency enough that they can choose the right. And we need to help them along the way. Could you imagine a a son or daughter that's having an issue with something, right? A teenager, whatever the issue might be. And then having a, a wise parent say, you know what? I want you to know that I know that's a true principle. And then maybe there's more depth to that. But then an invitation. I would invite you to, why don't you pray about that and try to live that? That feels so much more gentle in how Christ would have done it versus yelling and screaming and, and, and forcing. Uh, forcing, yeah. So in conclusion here, Elder Cordon his last point is we need to be righteous, intentional parents. And mm. um, I love that. <laughs> I love that, you know, he's totally calling us out there and inviting us, I guess we should say, right? <laughs> well, I think it's a big deal to say not just intentional parents, but righteous intentional parents, implying that we need to be intentional about the gospel. Yes, and in, cre in, in creating that gospel culture in our home that's focused on the Savior and, and his teachings. And so he said, as parents, we are God's agents in the care of our children. We must do everything we can to create an environment where our children can feel his divine influence. Heavenly Father never intended for us as parents to sit on the sidelines as spectators, watching the spiritual lives of our children unfold. And that was so powerful, mm. is it just doesn't happen. Kids don't just... Uh, accidentally gain testimonies or accidentally, you know. <laughs> or, or as passionate as we feel about the gospel as parents, it just doesn't by osmosis seep into their hearts and their souls. Right. right. We have to be engaged actively and intentional about creating opportunities for that to happen. Right. And that's why I, I get so frustrated sometimes and I, I just can't understand parents who don't want their kids to be at places where they can feel the spirit. They don't care if they take seminary. They don't care if they go to church. They don't care if they go to mutual or young men, young women. They don't send them to EFY. They don't send them to FSY or girls camp or, you know, any, 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 any of those programs. activities because that's where they're going to feel the spirit. And even kids who maybe don't want to be there will feel the spirit at things like that. You know, we hope they will firesides yeah. and things. And, we as parents have to be intentional, taking our children to the temple, touching the temple, taking them on temple trips, taking them to church history sites, things like that. We have to be intentional. It's just not going to happen. And I, I think we beat that horse a lot, but it's <laughs> so profound. Right. You got to have a plan and a, a purpose. And Elder Cordon illustrates this principle with a story from his own life. When he said, I was attending primary in a small branch in Guatemala my parents began to teach me about the value of patriarchal blessings. My mother took the time to share her experience of receiving her treasured patriarchal blessing. She taught me the doctrine related to patriarchal blessings, and she testified of the promised blessings. 
Her intentional parenting inspired me to have the desire to receive my patriarchal blessing. When I was 12, my parents helped me navigate the search for patriarch. This was necessary because there was no patriarch in the district where we lived. I traveled to a patriarch that was in our that was in a stake 157 kilometers or 97 miles away. I distinctly remember when the patriarch laid his hands upon my head to bless me. I knew by powerful spiritual confirmation without a doubt that my heavenly father knew me. For a 12-year-old boy from a small town, that meant everything to me. My heart turned to my heavenly father that day because my mother and father's intentional parenting and I will be forever grateful to them. Yeah. So powerful. You know, and that reminds me, Janie, just, I, I just, as we read that story, in, in, in this case of Elder Car- Cardone, he's talking about a patriarchal blessing, but think of all the opportunities we have as parents to help our children prepare a lesson, to get them ready for baptism by teaching them for months before they're baptized versus the night before, you know, or teaching them to receive the priesthood and what the priesthood is. You know, we have a daughter getting married soon. Are we talking enough about the doctrine of eternal marriage and, and all the principles that that surround that versus the night before giving some counsel, you know? I think there's a lot that we can do as parents. And then Sister Joy Jones adds this, that we cannot wait for conversion to simply happen to our children. Accidental conversion is not a principle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's the opposite of accidental? It's intentional, Right. Yeah, no other work transcends that of a righteous, intentional parent. <laughs> and that's quoting President Nelson, right? <laughs> exactly. Oh boy, that's a great invitation there from President Nelson. So in conclusion, quoting Elder Cordon, Parents, this world is full of philosophies, cultures, and ideas competing for our children's attention. The great and spacious building advertises its membership daily using the most current media channels. But in the gift of his son, the prophet Moroni taught, hath God prepared a more excellent way. As we partner with God through covenants and become his agents in the care of our children, he will sanctify our intentions, inspire our teachings, and temper our invitations. So our children may know to what source they may look for remission of their sins. Beautifully said by Elder Cordon. So regarding LDS, let's do something. You know, our thoughts today take us to culture. And maybe it's a great opportunity for a husband and wife, or even if you're a single parent, or even a grandparent, to just do some introspection and examine your your culture. Is it a gospel culture, the culture of your family? What is your culture centered on? And then if there's adjustments that we need to make, we can make those adjustments. So everyone, thank you so much for being with us again. We're always so grateful for your participation and your interest. If you have questions, if you want us to address anything, feel free to email us at preservingfamiliespodcast at gmail.com. We hope you have a wonderful week. We look forward to being with you next time.